Chapter 5 Once I walked all night and all the next day except for a short sleep in a forest and all night again and then I was home in our town in our most. The street is narrow like I remember and the buildings are all two levels high and made of stone and bricks with slate roofs like I remember. The weird thing is there are hardly any food shops. At the orphanage I used to spend hours in cars daydreaming about all the food shops in our street. The cake shop next to the ice cream shop, next to the roast meat shop, next to the jelly and jam shop, next to the fried potato shop, next to the chocolate covered licorice bullet shop. What was I making all that up? Something else is different too. Dawn was ages ago but there's nobody out. Our street used to be crowded as soon as it got light. People doing things and going places even though they were still yawning. Farm animals complaining because they didn't like being on the cobbles. Kids pinching things from the market stalls. This is very different. The whole street is deserted. I walk along from the corner wondering if my memory is wrong. That can happen when you're hungry and tired and your feet hurt because your shoes are too big. Perhaps I'm confused. Perhaps I'm remembering all the stories I've made up about your noisy, crowded street. Perhaps I made the crowds up too. Then I see our shop there on the next corner, and I know I haven't made that up. Everything's the same. The peeling green plate on the door, the metal post for customers to lean their bikes on, the front step where Sismglick threw up as he was leaving my fifth birthday party. And there's not a single Nazi burn mark anywhere on the shop. I feel very relieved, but a bit weak from hunger as well. I I have to stop and hold on to the wall of Mr. Rosenfield's house. Now I'm so close to home, I'm starting to feel sad. I wish mum and dad were here instead of away somewhere persuading their favourite author to write faster or trying to sell books on gun safety to soldiers. I take a deep breath. I haven't got time to be sad. I've got a plan to carry out. Hide the books before the Nazis get here. Then I'll have plenty of time to find a railway receipt and be reunited with mum and dad. First, I've got to get into the shop. I walk over and try the door. It's locked. I'm not surprised. Mum and dad was a locksmith before he was killed in a ferry sinking accident. Mum's very big on locks except on toilet doors and fairies. I peer in through the shop window. If I have to smash my way in, I must make sure the flying bits don't damage the books. I stare for a long time. I have to because when you're shocked and horrified and feeling sick, your eyes don't work very well, even with glasses. There aren't any books. All the books in the shop are gone. The shelves are still there, but no books. Just old coats and hats and underwear. I can't believe it. The Nazis can't have burnt the books already or the lock would be broken and there would be ash and weeping customers everywhere. Have mum and dad changed their business to second-hand clothes? Never. They love books too much. Mum and Mum's not interested in clothes. She always saying that to Mrs Glick, have I got the wrong shop? I kneel at the front door. It is the right shop. 
Here are my initials where I scratched them in the green paint the day before I went to the orphanage so the other kids around here wouldn't forget me. What's going on? Have mum and dad hidden the books? Suddenly I hear voices from our flat above the shop. A man and a woman. Thank you, God and the others. Mum! I yell. Dad! Mum and dad stop talking, but they don't reply. They don't even open the window. I can see their faint shapes moving behind the curtains. Why aren't they flinging the windows open and yelling with joy? Of course. It's been three years and eight months. My voice has changed. I look different. Plus, I'm wearing a rabbit hunter's clothes. They'll recognise me once they see my notebook. The shop door is locked, so I race round to the back and up the steps. The back door on the flat is open. The back door of the flat is open. Mum, I yell, bursting in. Dad! Then I stop in my tracks. While I was running, the steps part of me feared our kitchen furniture would be gone, just like the books, but it's still all there, exactly where it was. The stove where Mum used to make me carrot soup, the table where I had all my meals and my bread come fights with Dad, the fireplace where Mum and Dad used to give me my bath and dry my book if I dropped it in the water. Who are you? smells a voice. I spin around. Standing in the doorway from the living room, glaring at me, is a woman. It's not Mum. Mum is slim with dark hair and gentle pale face. This woman is muscly with her hair like straw. Her face is angry and red. Her neck and arms are too. I don't know what to say. Get out, shouts the woman. Grab him, says the man who innocent dad coming in from the bedroom. We'll hand him over. I I back towards the door. The man comes to me. I turn and run down the steps. Halfway down, I crash into a kid coming up. As I scramble over him, I see his face. He's older than he was, but I still recognise him. Victor Radzin one of the Polish kids from my class when I went to school here. I don't stop. I keep running. Clear off, Jew, yells Victor behind me. This is our house now. They've stopped chasing me. I crouch in my secret hiding place at the edge of the town and listen. No more yelling. The crowd that was after me must have given up. They mustn't know about his hollow sentry space in an ancient ruined castle wall. When Dad showed me this place years ago, he told me it was our secret, so I never told anybody, and he must have either. Thanks, Dad, and thank you, God, and the others, that I wasn't able to fill it up with books like I planned, or there wouldn't be room for me in here. Through the arrow slit, I can see the town people walking back towards their homes, now they're gone, I'm shaking all over. Why do they hate me and mum and dad so much? They couldn't all have bought books they didn't like. And why is Radzin family living in our place? Have mum and dad sold it to them? Why would they do that? The Radzins aren't booksellers. Mr Radzin used to empty toilets. Mrs Radzin has a stall at the market selling old clothes and underwear. Victor Radzin hates books. When he was in my class, he used to pick his nose and wipe it on the pages. I lean against the crumbling stone wall of my little cave and have a very sad thought. 
which has my room now, my my bed and my desk and my chair and my oil lamp and my bookshelf and my books. I think of him lying on the bed, blowing his nose on one of my books. Then I have a much happier thought. America, of course. The, the vices of America must have come through. The ones mum and dad tried to get before I went to the orphanage. That's why they sold the shop, so they can open another one in America. Dad told me a story about a Jewish bookseller in America once. The bookshelves there are solid gold. Oh no, mum and dad must be on their way to the orphanage to pick me up. Doesn't matter, they won't leave without me. I can be back at the orphanage in two days. Two and a bit to allow for walking up the mountain. Of course, that's probably where all the books are. Mum and Dad have taken them up to Mother Minka so she can buy ones that she wants before they ship the rest off to America. Phew, I'm feeling much calmer now. It all makes sense. I wipe the sweet off my glasses, repack my rags and my feet into my shoes and wriggle out through the thick undergrowth covering the entrance to sentry space. Then I freeze. Somebody behind me. I just heard the grass rustle. I turn around. Two little kids are staring at me, a boy and a girl, barefoot in the dust. We're playing grabbing Jews in the street, says the little boy. I'm a Jew, says the little girl. He's a Nazi. He's going to grab me and take me away. Who do you want to be? I don't say anything. You be a Nazi, says the little girl, squinting at me in the sunlight. I shake my head. All right, you be a Jew then, she says. That means you have to be sad. Because the Nazis took your mum and dad away. I stare at her. She gives an impatient sigh. All the Jew people got taken, she says. My dad told me. So you have to be sad, all right? Relax, I tell myself. It's just a game. But panic is churning inside me. He doesn't want to play, says the little boy. The, lit the little boy's right. I don't. I stand outside Miss Mr Rosenfield's house doing what I've been doing for hours, hoping desperately that the little girl is wrong. Little kids are wrong a bit in my experience. There was a little kid at the orphanage who thought you could eat ants. That's why I've waited until dark and crept back into town. Mr Rosenfield is Jewish. If he's still here, that'll prove all the Jewish people haven't been taken away. I knock on Mr Rosenfield's Rosenfield's door. Silence. I knock again. Silence. That doesn't mean he's not here. He could be reading the concentrating very hard. Or asleep with lots of wax in his ears. Or in the bath and naked. I knock again, louder. Mr Rosenfield, I call softly. It's Felix Salinger. I need to ask you something. It's urgent. Don't be shy if you're in the bath. I've seen mum and dad undressed. Silence. Hands grab me from behind. I try to yell, but one of the hands is over my mouth. I'm dragged backwards over the cobbles into the alley next to Rosenfield's house. Are you crazy? hisses a man voice in my ear. It's not Mr Rosenfield. I squirm round and look up. I can't see the man's face in the dark. They're all gone, he says. Rosenfield, your parents, all of them. I want him to stop. I want him to tell me it's just a story. I try to bite his hand. They've all been transported to the city, he says. I try again. This time my teeth sink in a bit. 
The man pulls his hand away and clamps it back on harder. That's why those weasel radzins are living in your house, says the man. That's why Rosenfield's favourite brown hat is up for sale in their shop and most of the other things he left behind. Fear stabs through me. He's right. I did see Mr Rosenfield's hat in the shop. I squirm round again. The moon has come out. I can see the man's face. It's Mr Kopeck. He used to empty toilets with Mr Radzin. You shouldn't be here, says Mr Kopeck. Bad time for you lot round here. If I was one of you, I'd go and hide in the mountains. Suddenly he lets go of me. If they get you, he says, we never spoke. I understand what he's trying to say. Don't worry, I reply. The Nazis won't be interested in me. I haven't got any books. I lent all of mine to my friend. Mr. Kopeck stares at me for a moment, then stuffs something under my arm and hurries away down the alley. I'm too shaky to stay standing up, so I sit down on the cobbles. I take the package from under my arm. It's wrapped in greaseproof paper. Inside is a piece of bread and a bottle of water. I don't understand. Why are some people kind to us Jewish book owners and some people hate us? I wish I'd asked Mr Kopeck to explain and also to tell me why the Nazis hate Jewish books so much that they've dragged mum and dad and all their Jewish customs off to the city. I tell myself a story about a bunch of kids in another country whose parents work in a book warehouse and one day a big pile of Jewish books topples on the kids' parents and crushes them and the kids vow that when they grow up they'll get revenge on all Jewish books and their owners. It doesn't feel like a very believable story. It'll have to do for now though. Perhaps while I'm on my way to find mum and dad, I'll be able to think up a better one. I carefully wrap the bread and bottle of water again. I'll need them. It's a long journey to the city. Thank you for listening. That was chapter five.